Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Classical podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Talking Classical podcast and you'll receive a notification every time a new episode is released. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, on the Talking Classical blog and on Facebook and YouTube. Many thanks for listening once again. I hope that you'll be able to join me for the next episode very soon. everyone, my name is Annabelle Lee and welcome back to another episode of the Talking Classical podcast. Today I'm super excited to be able to welcome onto the podcast Dr Nico de Villiers. Nico is a pianist, a coach, a researcher and during the lockdown period earlier this year launched a fantastic new career development podcast for musicians called What Would Mozart Do? I thoroughly recommend listening to that. In this podcast we talk about what would Mozart do and Nico has some really interesting insights into musicians career development particularly in music colleges and in light of the recent governmental debate surrounding arts and musical careers. We also talk about Nico's journey into music and his research. He's got a new book coming out soon. Meanwhile I hope that you enjoy listening to this conversation with Dr Nico de Villiers. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me, Nico. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you for asking me. Yes. So do you think that you could start off by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into music and a little bit about your work. Okay. Well, I'm Nico de Villiers and I am a South African pianist. I've left South Africa about 20 years ago now to do my undergraduate study in Scotland. And then with various journeys to the States, etc., I have now been living in London for the past 14 years. Um, so all my study has been as a first as a solo pianist in undergrad, and then thereafter, I focused on collaborative piano. So I work now a lot with singers, both as a coach, as well as an accompanist. And I also am doing research. So I uh, research various things around vocal music or art song, and also sometimes composers that are overlooked or might have fallen through the cracks. It's always interesting for me to find out, well, what is it that made them to either go out of fashion or to have been overlooked? and then to spur on new interest in these composers. As to your question of what brought me to music, um, I don't know, to be honest. I, I've, been, I've been born into music. Um, I came uh, from a musical family, and I played the piano from a very young age, first by ear, and then when I was six, I started taking lessons. So... To be honest with you, I can't really 
uh, remember a time that I didn't play the piano. So yeah, I've basically been doing music my whole life. And that's that's been my passion. And I've been extremely fortunate that I can make a career out of it. And um, with the various different strands that involves, you know, be it teaching or research or coaching or performance, um, it's really varied. But I've always had um, some sort of career in music. Fantastic. So although you say that you've always had a passion for music and this seems like this is what you've wanted to do from a young age, you've also expanded, like you said, into various different branches of having a career in music and that ties in very nicely with the podcast that you created what would Mozart do which I really enjoyed listening to we were just talking about that before can you tell us a little bit more about how that came about and what the premise of that podcast is and what are you aiming to get out of it particularly during this difficult time exactly right well um I uh, let me backtrack by saying I am on the vocal faculty at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. And part of my work is I, I coach singers one-to-one, but I also have singers that I teach on a academic module for research and then also in a module that is the self-reflective account. Um, and so during the year, the students and I tend to work with singers more so the the singers then have to write two pieces on um, on how they are progressing through the year specific things that they want to address they point out at the beginning of the year and then in this account they point out how they've progressed um, and what they've gone to do in order to progress or address these specific issues, whatever that might be, whether it's uh, to do with performance anxiety or whether it's to do with something really technical in singing, or it can be a a myriad of of topics. And then we had the, the big first lockdown starting in March. And my, I'm soon after I met my Um, cohort of uh, students a group of of five and they some of them were enthusiastic because they realized because they were sort of forced into the situation they realized that this is a fantastic opportunity for them to really make the most of learning how to take responsibility for their own learning for their own timekeeping their own development then some of them were uh, sort of feeling how things would go. You know, they were just observing, not necessarily being super despondent, but neither super enthusiastic either. And then there was this third student who was really despondent about the whole situation, unsure of how they would be performing during and post-COVID you know, what the the landscape of music will be like after the pandemic and what role they'd be able to play in it. Um, And also questioning the issue of income because they they looked at their friends who were doing law, etc. And realizing that comparatively, the income would 
never be the same. And the, the students then started asking loads of questions, which on the one hand, I tried to guide them in, but I also realized I don't have enough experience myself to give them a strong enough answer. And it also brought up loads of questions, of course, um, of how the music industry is dealing with students and how there's this stream of students going through conservatoire, going through university. And it's sort of a pattern. And it's, well, how are we helping those students to go beyond that pattern? that they really step out with a degree, but also really prepared for what is going on in the world. So um, as a response to all those questions, I decided I want to start a podcast where I talk to colleagues and various people who have either come from a different discipline into music or who are in music, but are having a parallel career on the other side, or people who have been in music and decided they need to leave music and have a, a parallel or a completely different career, actually. But what was interesting for me is I wanted to know what are the transferable skills that people have found in these journeys from their out extra musical careers to music or vice versa. And so that is basically what my podcast is about. Various conversations, some lighthearted, some um, really um, intense. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've found just the, the way that people are talking, it's been really, on the one hand, for them, an opportunity to assess themselves actually how they have developed because of this transition into or during or from music but also it's just been amazing to see how these people's stories have then helped various other people as i say at first it was um, my students that i was thinking about but i have noticed that the the interest has actually gone much farther than my own students, which I'm very happy about, uh, because if I can help um, people through these conversations to have some clarity, then that's 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 the ideal. That's very interesting because you were just referring to the student who was talking about his other law student friends, and I suppose that when you look at other degrees like law, medicine engineering, um, dentistry, there is a very clear career trajectory that you are going to follow and the route is very certain. Whereas with the arts and doing a music degree, there isn't, well, one would initially assume that when you leave music college or you graduate from your music degree, that you are then going to become this international soloist. And of course, that is not the case. That's only a tiny percentage of people who, who go into that. And the 
the waters, I suppose, are a little bit more murky for the arts and music in terms of career development. Do you think that we need to change our perceptions of how musicians develop their careers outside of the norm and particularly outside of the world of performance? And what can we do to help overcome these sorts of stigma? Well, um, I think firstly is to have the conversation earlier. Um, I think we, we so often get conversations going about careers when the students are finishing their uh, degrees and when they're going into the new world or the big world as it were i think it's more a conversation that should be just part of the general curriculum right from the start and not so much because of saying well you need to realize that you're not going to and i'm going to use the phrase make it whatever making it means because that is that is different for everybody what making it means and i think it's because the the various possibilities are so myriad that's why the the conversations are actually being avoided whereas i think right from the start one one ought to really discuss the possibilities or just highlight um, what the various um, issues are that come up and what the skills are that we as musicians are learning and not even considering you know because it's so especially those of us who start from very young it's like learning a language and we don't necessarily um, take in all the intricacies of learning a language you just speak the language the same with learning music you know there's there's all these various disciplines like to give you an example the focus um, and ability to focus and analyze detail discipline the the ability to repeat things with a um with an aim to develop and grow skills that one can take into, I would say, any other career. And I think it's, it's important to highlight these things to students from the beginning um, and to talk about it and to talk about the, the possibility of what else one can do um, with music. And it's not it's not a binary situation, you're in music or you're out. I think it's on the podcast, actually put this out, that the moment when they started to have a parallel or a correlating career, they found that they, and they still would view themselves and talk about themselves as professional musicians, they found that one they weren't as burnt out two they were able to enjoy their music making and being better performers because they're not dependent on every performance um paying a bill or a part of a bill etc you know so it's really 
I think taking away, you mentioned stigma, taking away the stigma of um, if you're not 100% in your career focused on your music, playing your instrument, that you've then not made it or you're not successful. Because that is frankly just not true. Mm. Mm. I think that also ties in with and I know it's something that you've talked about on the podcast a lot with your guests about this idea of identity that when musicians feel that they perhaps are not in what they initially seem see as their first vocation or when they go into a different career they almost feel as if they've lost a part of their identity or to, to put it in your words, they, they grieve over their identity. What can we do to help musicians find a more positive outlook towards their, I suppose, new careers and not putting all of their identity in being a performer? That's a very good question. Um... And I don't think there's necessarily only one answer sure. um, to this, but my interpretation for the answer would be um, by having these conversations, by putting it out there to remember that identity is, is with a great spectrum. And I think coming back again to the fact that we are learning music from such a young age, that it's so, it becomes so a part of us that it's difficult to perhaps distance ourselves from it or to consider something else that could have joined our lives, um, an activity that could have joined our lives later to be on the same um, level of importance or part of our shaping. Um, and I think it's more just to be aware and open to the fact that, yes, I'm a pianist, but the fact that I'm also a writer and the fact that I'm a coach and the fact that I'm a teacher doesn't take away from the fact that I'm a pianist. You know, it all adds to it. All the experience that I have playing the piano all feeds into these other um, activities that I do. Um, and similarly then, I would say, if it's somebody who, for instance, goes into a completely different um, uh, career path, I've spoken most recently to somebody who's a cellist but also a speech pathologist and she was able to she has both careers um, parallel and the amount of um, times that she has felt that these two um, fields overlap so much that it actually caused her not to think of her identity as a cellist separate from her identity as a um, speech pathologist. And I would like to add to that, um, that I think it's also, again, the way that music is taught and the way that we experience music. We are so often 
instructed or it's suggested this is how to do it this this is how you interpret this piece this is how you play legato etc that we can easily think that we become all of that whereas our music making is adding to whatever is out there so therefore you know your identity is not just one thing it's a it's a spectrum of things that you that you can really enhance and project and it's going to i think it's also important to remember and this is something that i um impress upon my students that things change the flux change things that they feel are now really important they are really important now but in five years time they might look back and realize goodness in 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 comparison to something else those things that they were worried about then is not as um were not as important mm -hmm. you know so i would say it's important to check in with one's identity regularly you know mm -hmm. that it doesn't become stuck in one way this is how i am and i need to fit the bill of what other people are expecting me to be mm -hmm. you know, keep checking in and keep evolving yeah and what do you think of the current situation at the moment i think that many of the things that you've just talked about there you know they tie in I think quite strongly with the debates that have been going on for the last few months and the current situation of the arts, how the government have been handling, um, how, how, they, how they've been responding to um, the work of freelance musicians and, and other artists. And I suppose that there are both positive and negative sides to this debate. Um, and I've talked to some people on the podcast about this. I'd be really interested to to hear your opinion on, on the current situation at the moment. Um, well, you know, there are so many people who have benefited from the help that the the government has given and i think that needs to be acknowledged um you know we're we're living in a, in a society that that is possible um but at the same time we also know about so many people i mean the famous three million that um have not been able to benefit because of various um loopholes or problems in the system so i think it is important it's important that we are able to stand our ground as musicians and to to always convey the importance of our careers that it goes beyond the airy fairy you know the lights, the glimmer, the wonderful, glossy programs. It goes beyond that. You know, it is our way of communicating. Um, our music, our art is a way of reflecting on what is going on around us and 
all of our activities become documents and records of life. And I think that is something that in general needs to be addressed more. For instance, there are in the various clear systems, you hear that certain sports groups can come together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yes, it's outside, etc. But, and therefore I can understand that performances, musical performances in theatres, big or small, um, cannot necessarily be considered under that category. However, what bothers me about it is we're not even brought to the table. We're not even mentioned, even if it is, the arts or the theatres cannot do this for this reason. Mm. It's just not mentioned at all, you know, so completely overlooked. And as a result, I think that that is really damaging to the arts because people are forced to, in an immediate sense, because everybody has to eat, they're forced outside um, or out of their creativity. But the danger in the long run is that there will be an artistic drain. And I don't want to become too political about the situation, but um, the pandemic in association with Brexit, there's so many artists who have found a better um, environment or a potentially better environment for their creativity in Europe, Mm. in various different countries. Mm. And that does worry me to consider, well, what, what is going to go, what is going to happen in the UK art scene Mm. in years, in 10 years time? You know, we have extraordinary institutions that we create, in which we create art, in which we educate artists. And I'm using art as a very global term in the sense, you know, and so many British artists are at the forefront of the the artistic world globally. But if we keep on losing them for whatever reason, where where are we going to end up? And I, I know I'm South African and I, I speak as if I'm British. I'm soon going to be officially British, mm-hmm. but I actually do feel myself closer aligned with the United Kingdom mm-hmm. than South Africa. I've, I've spent more of my life here than there. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this is the life I live. And uh, so I can only, I can only respond and comment on the life I see here. Hmm. I hope that answered your Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm sure that many of our listeners will be aware of the government campaign and the ballet dancer Fatima and suggested that she should go and have a career in in technology. However, your podcast though is 
very interesting and perhaps has a, a little bit of a different take on that in terms of musicians' career development, as we've mentioned. However, the timing of the, um, the, the poster was, of course, very unfortunate. But do you think that maybe in this current climate, it's become more important for musicians to diversify, of course, not losing their interest in music, but as you said, with Brexit and, of course, the vaccine presents great news, but we don't know how it's going to be rolled out and, you know, when this virus will come to an end. Do you think that maybe it's become more important now for musicians to to diversify? Absolutely. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the Fatima poster. Yeah. Because... I, I actually wrote a blog post on this. It it started with. I mean, I I at first thought, well, I I can't speak up about this because my podcast is actually talking about what that poster is saying. Yes. And then a few days later, I realised, no, this is the perfect opportunity to mm. speak up about it. It's the it was the badly timed, um, you know, it was just ill-timed yeah. for that poster to come up because it was in the same week of various situations where the arts would have felt, um, if not attacked, it would have felt neglected mm -hmm. and left behind, mm -hmm. like the, the musical protests outside of Parliament, etc. Mm -hmm. And then this poster... So that would have been an affront to any artist because it, it, at first sight, it makes it seem like you can just flip from one thing to the next and that all the, all the dedication and the work that is going into becoming an artist is, is just not, is neither here nor there. Mm. But, you know, I think not so much the Fatima poster, but the pandemic itself. It just opened up a question that has been asked for ages. Mm -hmm. We've not been courageous enough to address it. You know, um, early on when I, I launched my podcast in June, and when it first came out, I had so many people getting in touch saying thank you so much for at last saying that this is going on that this is happening people are having parallel careers because it sort of had this sense of well um i'll i'll be an opera singer but i won't tell anybody about the the temp work that i'm doing or the fact that i'm teaching English as a second language on the side, etc., to make ends meet, because that might affect my status as an opera singer. And I think that is just, um, it's been, I mean, we've all been doing various different jobs to make ends meet. And that is, this is a, a perfect opportunity to now really address what is it that we are doing and how are we actually contributing to the world 
beyond pieces of music, beyond posters, beyond paintings, beyond sculpture. And I think it's an opportunity for us to actually show the world, especially those parts of the world and society that might think the arts and music as a luxury, to consider its importance and the to see how it can really, for the better, infiltrate society and life in general. So, for instance, um, I saw over the weekend this program by Grayson Perry, where he, over lockdown, got in touch with various people, normal people, if you like, everyday people, not necessarily um, artists, who created various um, pieces of art. And he was organizing this exhibition in Manchester, which unfortunately could not open because of the various restrictions. But that, aside from that, the fact that he was able to highlight the importance of the arts to these everyday people, I think this is our opportunity through our diversity as musicians and artists to show society our worth and mm -hmm. the need for our existence. Mm -hmm. What have you learned from the last few months and from doing your podcasts over these last few months, either for your own career or I suppose more generally in terms of musicians' career developments? And where would you like to take the podcast in the future? Right. Well, um, what have I learned so much? I, I mean, I'm not a technical person at all. I, I still call my brother up saying, I, I, I have problems with, with mics. <laughs> I, it's a mic, you know, so things like that. I'm, I'm learning. I've learned a lot and I'm still learning and I'm sure I'm going to continue to learn for quite a while still. But um, the practicality of shifting my world from face-to-face um, -face teaching to online teaching and the issues that that brought. But also it was interesting the moment when you started, when I started coaching online, to see how, um, how I coached differently because of the medium. Um, it was an opportunity, what I tend to do because of the delays, etc. What I tend to do is I record the piano accompaniment or the orchestral reduction. I record that um, for the client and I send that through to them. And then they sing along to that. So it's sort of a karaoke. Yeah situation which the downside of it is it makes it really hard if not impossible for rubato and taking time etc those kind of in the moment creativity that yes. we would have had however what they have gained from was to actually be much more rhythmically aware of what they're doing it also gave me the opportunity to really observe what they're doing 
um, and to see when we talk about diction, to see what they do with their mouths, to clarify, you know, and to perhaps pinpoint. Whereas often in coaching um, in the same room, you play the piano, and of course, I would listen acutely, um, but especially if, if it's repertoire that um, needs more sight reading, you know, it would just be a cursory glance to the singer, as opposed to focusing on the video itself. Um, so those, those are just a, a, a couple of things that I've learned from my work. For life, what I've learned is to take time and to breathe. Sometimes it's so easy for us to wanting to fill every minute because if we if we're not busy every minute, we're not progressing or we're not seemingly succeeding mm. or we're not making an impact. Mm. Whereas I've actually found that what I do is more impactful, is more successful within my my concept of success or more creative, you know, and actually more enjoyable mm. because I'm able to take a moment and breathe. Then for the podcast, well, I, I want to talk to as many people as possible because I love to hear people's stories because every story is different. Yeah. Um, every experience, how people got to that specific point. Yeah. Um, I am thinking of creating um, something that's written down that would perhaps sort of, um, not diary entries or blog entries, but sort of taking all the strands, the th certain thematic strands that came up in the podcast and do something written down with that that could be helpful um, to listeners slash readers and I do think um, I'm getting close to the point where I think it might be interesting to broaden the scope I've mainly uh, bar one um, episode I've only been talking to musicians um, and I think it would be interesting to talk to artists in other disciplines as well and to experience, to find out their different experiences, how it's parallel to the music world or how it's different. And therefore, how can the music world perhaps learn from the other arts? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the vision at the moment. Brilliant. You mentioned writing there. And finally, I hear that you've got a new book coming out. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So I have been over for more than a decade now. I've been um, in some other way researching the life and music of a Dutch born American composer called Richard Hagemann, um, who uh, for your listeners, if they're singers, they most probably have heard or have sung the song Do Not Go My Love, which is the setting of uh, Rabindranath Tagore's poem. Or other listeners might know 
the Western films by John Ford, the director John Ford, uh, from the 40s. Um, and Hagman wrote a number of John Ford film scores. So um, over this time, I've, I've done various uh, performances of Hagman's songs. He wrote fantastic songs with amazing um, piano uh, parts. You can't really call it accompaniments, piano parts. He was a fantastic pianist himself. And um, I did my, my PhD research um, on his songs. And following up uh, from the PhD, I then collaborated with Catherine Kalanak uh, from Rhode Island College um, and Arsene Walthaus, um, one of the editors of the New Order Courant in the Netherlands. And the three of us co-authored the first critical biography of Richard Hagemann. Critical in the sense that um, we we talk about some of the works, uh, some of the film scores, some of the um, orchestral works and some of the songs that are analyzed um, in a um, broader user-friendly sense, but it is analyzed, they are analyzed nonetheless. And various issues that have come up over the years, um, inaccuracies about his life, which we um, corrected um, because we were to research it in depth, um, going through archives and newspapers and, you know, various means of putting together his life. It is interesting, sort of, you know, piecing together somebody's life um, like his, um, which was really exciting. Um, but he also died um, without an heir. So there's no one archive or one person or one family that we could contact. Mm -hmm. So we had to piece all these things together. Yes, so the the book is called Richard Hagemann from Holland to Hollywood, and it is due to be published by Peter Lang, one of the um, big academic publishers. And um, it, it's looking like it will be um, later this month. So I'm very excited about that. Brilliant. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks so much to Nico for taking the time to talk to me for this podcast. And that's all from me for now, but I hope that you'll be able to join me soon for another episode. Don't forget that there's a whole archive of conversations that I've recorded with a wonderful range of artists and creatives. So if you're looking for a little bit of inspiration during this festive period, please do listen to those. And if you'd like to leave a comment or a review on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to do so as that will help the podcast to reach a wider audience. Thank you very much for listening once again. I hope that you have a safe and restful Christmas amongst the craziness that's going on in the world at the moment. And I hope that you'll be able to join me for another podcast very soon. Bye for now. Thank you.